one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport on day 11 of the French Open. It has been a quarterfinal fest, four men's quarterfinals, two women's quarterfinals, loads of tennis to get our teeth into today. I'm David Law, I'm not in Paris, Catherine Whitaker is, she's just had her room service arrived, does it involve cheese? It doesn't involve cheese, but only because I've already eaten so much cheese. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Yeah, I've already had I've already had one cheese board today, and it was it was a big one. So my room service service order only involves chocolate cake and a glass of wine, and yeah, yeah. Excellent. I'm t- I'm tired, David. I'm I'm refueling. Yeah, all the food groups covered there. Uh, five a day, <laughs> yeah. absolutely fine. She's had her five I had cheese a, boards. I had a for small salad earlier, so that's it's all fine. I see. I had a I small no, portion of green beans as well. You know, I'm I'm covered. Yeah. yeah all right. Fine. Okay. Enough. Uh, enough nutritional talk uh, here on the tennis podcast. You've had your fill of that, everybody. Uh, let's get into the tennis, uh, Catherine. Uh, first and foremost, I think the the thing that comes out of the whole day for me is yet again we seem to be talking about Novak Djokovic and and what's wrong with him. Uh, he he lost in straight sets to, today against a guy he'd never lost to before, Dominic Team. He was four two up in the first set, cruising. Frankly, looked just like all the other matches he's had against Dominic Team, and then he lost in straight sets, losing this the, the third set six love. I I don't understand. I would disagree that he was cruising. I think it was more of a match than that. It was certainly a very different match to the one they played in the Rome semi-finals a couple of weeks ago, after which I was thinking maybe this is just one of those matchups that doesn't work for Dominic Team. You know, it doesn't matter how well he plays, it just is never going to work. It's all he's always going to be at too big a disadvantage um against uh the way that Novak Djokovic plays and it was a very different match to that today and uh yes it was 4-2 up and yes I absolutely didn't expect it to go the way that it ended up going uh from there but I I just would disagree that he was cruising I still felt at 4-2 that it was a very very 
tight match and that Dominic Team was playing some sensational tennis. However, and I, I don't want to take anything from Dominic Team because he is a glory to watch in the sort of form he was today. He was in full flow. I mean, the, just the most watchable tennis you could ever imagine, really. I mean, I, I defy anybody with any passing interest in tennis not to be able to watch that and and think, yeah, I, I want to watch more of this because it is just a glory to behold. But even Dominic Team towards the end of the second set and throughout the third, looked pretty bewildered at what was going on, I think. You know, John McEnroe, called it uh, tanking, he used the word tanking in um, Eurosport commentary. I'm not sure I would go that far uh, because uh, I think the line between just sort of not caring and and uh, specifically actively trying to lose or not, not actively making the decision to not try, I, th- I think the lines there are so, so blurred. Um, I don't think it was anything as specific as that. I just think there was nothing there either. Yeah, that's it. He was bereft, wasn't it? Behind the eyes, in the arm, in in the body. There was just, he knew he had nothing to call upon there. And I I did a a piece to camera with Mats Volander, who had been courtside throughout the match. I did a piece to camera with him at the end of the match. And I said, look, it's one thing to be beaten by Dominic Team, There's no shame in that. I fully believe that he's going to be a French Open champion. If not this year, then probably next year or the year after. Look, there's no shame in being outplayed by Dominic Team on his day, even if you were the world number two. That's fine. There's no shame in not playing your best tennis. That's fine too. But I don't understand, or I was disappointed in the lack of defiance the lack of resilience from Novak Djokovic where's that because you look at Andy Murray and he's struggling he possibly in tennis terms actually is struggling as much or if more if not more so than Novak Djokovic actually but mentally he's he's trying desperately to fight fight through it whereas Novak Djokovic actually I think is playing more or less a lot of the time slightly better tennis than Murray but mentally it's not there is it he doesn't have the fight and uh, in the press conference afterwards he was pretty the word that Annabelle Croft used in the Eurosport studio was resigned and I think that was a very good one not to say that he wasn't disappointed and sad and all the rest of it but he didn't seem surprised or angry or you know, there weren't the extremes of emotion. There wasn't the, well, defiance. Defiance is the word that I keep coming back to. It's one we've used a lot about peak Novak Djokovic. And he was asked whether maybe some time off is what he needs. And he said, look, yeah, that's one of the things that I'm considering, basically. He said, there's a lot of things that I'm considering at the moment. And basically, he doesn't he doesn't have any answers. He, he yeah, I He'll be back to some degree, without question. Mats Volander thinks that he'll be back dominating the sport again. I am not convinced of that. I still think he'll probably win one or two more slams. I do. I think he is too good a player not to. But for the immediate and medium term, I don't know. I don't know what is going to happen for Novak Djokovic. I really don't. 
Yeah, there there are a, a few things here in as much as it reminds me of when we were talking about Roger Federer's canister that you uh, you decided he'd got one of those and that it needed to be replenished. Uh, and, and it has felt like that on and off, hasn't it, for, for a year, really, with Djokovic. It may just be that that moment drained him so totally that maybe the only way back is is to do a Roger Federer and take six months off. That And the moment I'm talking about is is winning the French Open last year, that culmination of all that effort, um, all those years of trying to keep up with Nadal and Federer and make his own mark. And there he stood, the first man since Rod Laver to hold all four Grand Slam tournament titles at the same time. Maybe that was just too big a stretch for him to to bounce back from and, and continue, and uh, and the, the last year would suggest that, that that is part of it. It's it is still shocking to have seen him like that today, and it's I didn't like it. I don't like seeing him like that. I don't like seeing. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Great athletes, champions, struggling and just looking so bereft. And uh, there was another slightly throwaway line from Makino in the commentary when when the camera went on to Pepe Imaz, and he said. You know, in t- at times like this, you don't need a, a kind of love and peace type mentor. You need, you need, you're in the heat of battle. You need to be able to. You you said you the word defiance. The other one we always used with him was resilience, and those are the two things he seems to be lacking right now. I just wonder whether, yeah, whether he's just pushed himself beyond the limits of being able to call on those two things. Um, and, uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting, his next steps, because he's not scheduled, as things stand, to play any grass uh, competitively before Wimbledon. He could try and enter Queens. He could try and enter Haller. He could try and enter one of the other events. He did sort of say, it's possible I might. Uh, he obviously doesn't know just at the moment. But the other, the other big contrast for me between him and Murray right now, the quotes Murray gave before his quarterfinal against Nishikori, he, he spoke to the British press. He did that sort of extra segment with them. And he, he talked about how Lendl just ba- got him back to basics. It was all about just do the simple things. Just work for every point. Make yourself hard to beat. Don't worry about changing too many things. Just do those few things that you do really well, which make you very difficult to beat. And it seems to me that Djokovic is has lost his way he he doesn't quite know how to go about it at the moment it's 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 a very strange situation yeah it absolutely is and i, I i've no idea whether he's gonna play a uh warm-up tournament in advance of, of queens i just I, he doesn't know so he, he genuinely doesn't know that was my take-home message from his post-match press conference so there's no way I can guess something that isn't even in his mind yet I really think he's bereft that's a word we've used a couple of times and just as when he was winning and dominating and it seemed it would ever be thus we are all very guilty of feeling like a current situation is permanent and you you sort of can't see a way out of it and you think that this is how things are you know when when Djokovic was dominating everything it just how could you not see him winning every grand slam for the near future and at the moment it feels like how on earth can you see Novak Djokovic finding his way out of this the 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 woods feel so thick for him you know watching him play that 
six-love final set against Dominic Team in a Grand Slam quarter-final where he's the defending champion, where someone's trying to wrestle his trophy from him. You're thinking, how on earth, how bad must things be for you to be just limply donating it away? But it, 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 things are so much more temporary in sport and in tennis than than we ever feel in the moment because things feel so big and important and permanent in the moment but they're not um and i i as i say i have my question marks about whether he will ever come back and dominate i found it very surprising when mats volander told me he thought he would and uh i'm uh, yeah well i suppose i'm about to go on record and say that i disagree with mats volander but I have my doubts about whether he will dominate, but I cannot believe he won't win another slam or two. I really can't. Time will tell, indeed. So we mentioned Andy Murray. He fought his way past Kei Nishikori. That was a a funny old match, wasn't it? Because you mentioned Murray's form. In the first set, Nishikori dominated him, and and Murray was quite, quite listless at that time, but he found a way to win. Yeah, it was a completely bizarre match. I had such high hopes and I didn't expect to see a perfect world beating Andy Murray today. I think he's still in a, in a process and still trying to find his best tennis. But I, don't, I, I didn't really know what I was watching for a set and a half. Yes, look, Kane Ishikori was great. Uh, his backhand is sublime at its best and it really was sublime for that first set. But... Andy Murray let it be sublime. I don't know what his game plan was. He was just pushing the ball. He was just pushing and giving Kane Nishikori this nice clean ball to hit and didn't seem to have any plan to take control of the rallies and was getting involved in these long backhand exchanges. And Kane Nishikori's backhand is too good for that. You know, Andy Murray couldn't stand up to that. And he was the one being worn down. He was the one being pushed too far behind the baseline. Um, And Nishikori was the one taking control of the points and I just thought there isn't either you just hope for a dip in Nishikori's form which lo and behold came or you're just I don't know what you hope or you have to change something because you're not going to win this way Andy and and lo and behold suddenly lots of things changed at once Nishikori's form did, did dip and I do find him still mentally disappointing I do think he he's mentally frail you know in in that fourth set he had his you know full set okay you're a breakdown but you're in a full set you've dominated large large portions of the match you're still in this k and there he was with his head between his knees with the towel over his head i mean the worst imaginable body language i mean if you were if you looked up defeated in the dictionary you'd have seen a picture of kane shikori in that moment at that change of ends and i think the moment when uh, early on in the second set when Andy Murray was given a second uh, warning for time taken between serves and was uh, docked a first serve for that and it fired him up. He had a little bit of an argument with Carlos Ramos in the chair. That was precisely what he needed. You could see him latch onto it like, oh, this is this is what I need to put some fire in my belly. I need to pick a fight. Uh, and there it was. And uh, I still don't think he suddenly locked into brilliant tennis after that. He just suddenly found the competitor in him that Novak Djokovic was unable to find today. And and 
Look, I wasn't brilliantly impressed with Murray's tennis at any stage today, I have to say. I don't think it was his best, but I was brilliantly impressed with the competitor in him. And I think that was all the more brought to the fore by the contrast with Djokovic. And that's not to say that Djokovic isn't a brilliant competitor at his best. Of course he is, but we take it for granted in these people. And the fact that someone as great as Djokovic, we've seen him do what he did today it makes you realise you can't take this stuff for granted. It is a monumental effort that these guys put in to win when they're not playing their best. That is that is incredibly difficult. It'd be so easy to go, oh, gosh, I can't bear it. I'm, I, I just want to throw in the towel. This isn't me. And Andy Murray is gritting his teeth and winning ugly a lot of the time at the moment to coin a Brad Gilbertism. And that warrants a lot of credit I think the problem for him in the next round is that he's going to be up against a guy who is completely where he wants to be Stan Wawrinka you mentioned earlier in the tournament that that it's it's unusual to see Stan Wawrinka hitting form so early in a slam he hasn't dropped a set he thrashed Marin Cilic today who also hadn't dropped a set until today and Vavrinka Murray is a rematch of their semi last year. And I was trying to find this quote. I couldn't find it anywhere. But I, I seem to recall Magnus Norman saying after that match that it was the best anybody had played against Stan on clay. And as though it was one of the best performances he's, he's ever seen, really. Um, I th- I'm pretty sure it was, it was Magnus Norman who said that. Murray was fabulous in that semi last year. Um, Vavrinka feels like the the favourite though, and and actually um, you'll be delighted to know, Catherine. I've I've run a pole vault on this, and uh, uh, and and actually, usually, I mean, I think because we've got more British listeners than than any other country, I, I, we do tend to find there is obviously a leaning towards Murray when we run these things. Well, this one this one is in so far in in Vavrinka's favour, fifty six percent of 748 votes have gone with Stan Wawrinka. Um, what are your thoughts? I think Stan Wawrinka is absolutely the favourite, um, the strong favourite. I spoke to him after his match today, his win over Marin Cilic, and boy, was he confident and relaxed, bu- relaxed, bullish even. I asked him whether this was the best clay court tennis he's ever played, and he said yes. You know, which given this is a guy that won the title two years ago is uh, pretty impressive. He was very explicit in explaining what he had learned from last year's match against Andy Murray and what he needed to do differently. And he described how aggressive Andy Murray was uh, in last year's semi-final. And to be fair, in not in any of the matches so far that Andy Murray has played in this tournament has he been anywhere close to as aggressive as he was in that match last year. Andy Murray at his best is an Andy Murray that's confident enough to step in and take the ball early. And I haven't seen much of that this tournament. It doesn't mean I don't think he's got it in him because that kind of play is all about confidence. And he's in the semi-final of a Grand Slam. He's beaten Kei Nishikori and Juan Martin Del Potro. and, And those sorts of things bring confidence. I'm just saying I haven't seen it yet. Um, but I, what I've seen from Stanford Rinker has blown me away. And this is a guy with a track record of having won here and beating the best, 
best players en route. And what I've seen so far is Vavrinka playing even better than he played in 2015. So he has to be the favourite. Wow. Yeah, well, those are pretty strong words because he obviously when he got to the final in 2015, he was effectively unplayable. Although I do think there was a big difference between how he played in that final to the rest of the tournament. And uh, yeah, the, I, the one reservation I would have from a Vavrinka perspective is is Murray on this surface can put the ball in difficult places for him. He can stop him from setting his feet. That's what he did last year in that in that semi with genius skill. I remember it wasn't just about... I mean, you, there's no point in, in Andy Murray going toe-to-toe, really, with Vavrinka. He's got to, in the words of John McEnroe, give him a different ball to look at with every single shot, I, I think. And uh, and that, that could be the recipe for success. But, yeah, I, Vavrinka, marginal favourite. But, I don't know, I've got a feeling that Murray might take him out, personally. Oh. We'll see. We will see. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make my final call on that tomorrow. You had a and, feeling, David, know, that Alina Svitolina was going to win the title, though, didn't you? So, or no, Kuznetsova, even worse. Yeah. Oh, and Catherine, listen, my feelings are an utter irrelevance this fortnight. <laughs> uh, I, I've lost my, my amazing knack of brilliantly predicting uh, every result correctly. That amazing knack that I have just made up. Uh, anyway, uh, the other person who was in awesome form was uh, Rafael Nadal. Uh, although he wasn't exactly stretched today, poor old Pablo Carreno Busta had to retire two love down in the second set. But Nadal has not dropped more than four games in his last 20 sets of tennis in Paris. <laughs> it's just absurd. Yeah, it's very difficult to know what to say to add to what we said after Nadal's last victory because today was a complete irrelevance, really. Public Rene Buster is a great player. I mean, look, even at his physical best, I didn't really give him a hope of challenging Nadal and, and nor did any of the experts that I spoke to. So... That has to be taken into consideration. However, Karina Buster was suffering badly. I'm a bit unclear about specifically what was up with him because it was it was obviously something in the stomach region. But when he went off court for the medical timeout and came back on, the strapping that he had there didn't seem to be sort of muscular strapping. It didn't wrap around his torso. It looked like it had some sort of surgery and had had a sort of wound dressing on you know like it looked like a sort of hernia bandage I, I, I'm quite sure you couldn't possibly attempt to play tennis with a hernia but whatever was going on it was hampering him significantly and it makes the match one that's almost impossible to analyse uh, so what can I say really other than everything that I said after Nadal's last victory is that well, Which is that he more looks interesting, sensational. More interesting, more interesting is Nadal team, really, isn't it? Um, well, I mean, yeah. you can you can leave that till tomorrow if you like, but uh, but that's the match coming up. Yeah, and I think it'll be cracking. I think the match in Rome sets it up brilliantly because team crucially goes in knowing he can beat him, knowing he's improved with every match he's played against Nadal this season. And they've played three of them so far. Team eventually got the victory. It's over best of five sets. That immediately puts Nadal as the favourite, no matter how well team has been playing. But this is going to be a challenge for Nadal. And crucially, he hasn't been challenged yet. You know, 
there's zero chance that Nadal is susceptible to com- susceptible to complacency. Zero at all. He's not taking anything for granted at all. However, you know he hasn't he hasn't been challenged. He hasn't had the the fight brought out of him yet. And and that's something that look uh, it's difficult with Nadal because it must all it, it's always at the fore with him, isn't it? It doesn't take much to bring it out, but it's not ideal. Usually, what you say about winning a slam is that at some point you need to have had a a test along the way usually that tends to be the case and of course there are exceptions and Nadal has been an exception in the past but I I do think it could be interesting team at his best is capable of beating anyone without question he is a world beating magnificent tennis player at his best I would say that he is not capable of beating Nadal on clay if Nadal is at his best. I just don't think he would be allowed to. We will see. We, we will, will see. Yeah, Catherine we Pritchard will see. He's going to ponder that for tomorrow's show. And uh, what we're going to do right now, because we've obviously still got the, the women's quarterfinals to, to go through, but Catherine has got that cake and wine that she just needs to have a little bit of a sample of. So let's just let her do that, and then we'll talk about the women's draw. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. So Catherine's just wolfed down that cake. Uh, Carolina Pliskova against uh, Caroline Garcia was close. Actually, it was close. It was competitive. But ultimately, it, it always felt to me like Pliskova was going to win. I don't know about you. It was 7-6-6-3, I think, in the end. And, and I, I always felt that Pliskova would end up winning. What did you think? Yeah, it was really difficult. I did too, deep down. But everybody here was so keen to big it up and big up the French chances. And everybody was willing Garcia to do well because obviously it's wonderful for a tournament if uh, a home player reaches the latter stages and she's done frankly very well Garcia to reach the quarterfinals and she seems to be just starting to fulfill some of her potential of course Andy Murray said she's a future world number one what was that three years ago maybe and and they've been a tough three years since then in the singles game at least but uh, 
Plushkova is a better player at the moment. It doesn't mean that Garcia doesn't have the potential to be as good as or a better player than Plushkova, but at the moment she is a, a better player, even with the clay neutralising her strengths. And today in the windy conditions, she was able to hit through them better. It was sort of quite similar to Bashinsky Miladinovic yesterday in that everyone was kind of expecting the match to be about the tension in the occasion and what's at stake, and also with the conditions factored in. And yes, all those things were present, but actually what it came down to was who was the better tennis player on the day, and it was just Pliskova. I don't think Garcia crumbled. I think she played a decent enough game. I just think Pliskova is the better, more seasoned player at this level these days. But it was only a year ago, remember, that Pliskova was the massive underachiever at Grand Slam level, enormous underachiever. It wasn't until the US Open last year that she got past the third round at a Grand Slam, and my, how the tables have turned. Yeah, very true. Uh, It wasn't like that in the other match. It wasn't just about who's the better tennis player, because Simona Halep really struggled earlier on, early on against Alina Svitolina, who was by far the better player. 6-3, 5-1, I think it was, at one stage in that match. I mean, and yet I still don't really feel that it was... I, I don't look at... I don't watch the match and think, that's a choke, even though the scoreline looks like a choke. I think Halep deserves great credit for that comeback. She... She didn't give in. She kept scrapping and she had no form early on at all. And then she found a form and and reeled Svitolina back in. Svitolina had the match point in the tiebreak, I think it was. But it was ultimately Halep who leveled the match and then just ran away with it six love in the third. That, at that point, Svitolina had, had just got nothing left, I don't think. No, no belief left in herself. What was your sense? Yeah, I, I agree. I I don't see it as a choke as much as the scoreline might suggest that. I, I think it was sort of the reverse of that in a way. It was almost a preemptive choke from Simona Halep. I mean, even Svitolina playing her best, which she was for large portions of the match, she was sensational. And I do think she will be a, a finalist and probable champion here one day. Uh, Halep, should have been going toe to toe to her, even with her, even at her best. You know, she shouldn't have been five love down in the first set. She shouldn't have been five one down in the second set. It was a preemptive choke from Halep, if that makes sense. And and they're getting level in Halep, then uh, marching through the third set was not normal service resumed. That's not the right way of putting it but you know what I mean it was just leveling the playing field from from what was a very bizarre start to the match really and I I agree Halep deserves enormous credit and I do think possibly a year ago she wouldn't have won that match and a lot has been made in the last few hours of what Halep said after after Miami and how revealing she's been about how Darren Cahill walked away from her and said if they're to work together he has to he's demanding a better attitude from her and you have to think that had he not done that today's match would have been the sort of match that she might have thrown away. Yeah, I know I can I can believe that. Um, so that leaves Pliskova now against Halep. The head to head is four one in the favour of Simona Halep. Huge amount on this match because if Pliskova beats Halep, Karolina Pliskova is the world number one. If Halep 
wins and goes on to win the title, she is world number one. So there's a heck of a lot on it, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, you could say that. Yeah, there's a heck of a lot on it. I'm pleased for what you want to see in tennis, not just in women's tennis, but it seems to be something that is unfortunately played women's tennis very recently. You want to see people regaining or gaining the world number one position by doing something positive rather than sort of a default from somebody yes. somebody else doing something negative or failing to, to do what they did last year or whatever, which has been the case a few times with Kerber and Serena exchanging uh, the world number one position. So whoever does it will have earned it. And it'll be exciting that there's a a new number one potentially, and also we know already a brand new Grand Slam champion. So, yeah, uh, it, it's exciting times. I, I still look at Yelena Ostapenko and think though that you're the real deal. I, I really do. I, I'm not saying that she's going to win this French Open, but also there is a sort of portion of my gut that says. Maybe Yelena Ostapenko will win the French Open. I don't know. There's just something about her that's so... Well, I said it all with in last night's podcast with Chris Bradnam that is so feisty and sort of precocious without being annoying. All the traits that are required to to win a Grand Slam as a teenager, although she won't be a teenager come Saturday because she turns 20 She's tomorrow. She's 20, yeah. yeah. 20, oh, well, actually, t- tomorrow, it, yeah. It, She's 20 minutes away from turning 20, actually, David. And fun, fun fact for you, both she and her opponent tomorrow, Tomei Bashinsky, will be celebrating their birthdays. That doesn't happen well, very, very often, does it? Fact. Yeah, so she's 20, 20 minutes away from turning 20. I'm 20 years past and more. <laughs> turning 20. Anyway, uh, Yelena Ostapenko, incidentally, great little line that came up on social media, Ben Rothenberg quoting this guy, Fierce Tennis, who says that Yelena Ostapenko could win her first tour-level title at the French Open, and the last player to do that was Gustavo Kirten in 1997, and he did it on the day that Ostapenko was born. Oh, my goodness, I love those stats facts so much it has to happen <laughs> so we'll we'll see 20 years on from, That's from Hugo in his in his brazilian yellow and blue outfit and the uh the curly hair uh winning title uh you know i'd barely heard of Guga curtain when he won that title it just goes to show doesn't it what a what a bolt from the blue that was and uh an ostapenko you're right i mean she's so fearless it, it'll be very interesting so come on let's have a quick prediction then yeah you've you, you you've obviously got Halep to still win the title but what about what about ostapenko and uh and, and Bichinsky? you think ostapenko <sighs> Oh, do I though? They've never, or... never, never played each other before. Do you know what First though? I really it. like Tomei Bish- I have all the time in the world That's for Tomei Bishinsky. Um I'm really struggling to. Uh, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? It's going to be nice and sunny, and I'm going to go for Ostapenko just to keep things fun because if she has, yeah, I'm going to go for Ostapenko. There you go. 
I'm going to go for Baczynski. Uh I, I think she will just be that little bit too solid for her. Um, and you never quite know which Ostapenko is going to turn up, frankly. And I think uh, I think Baczynski will have a little bit too much know-how for her. But then I would have said that ahead of Wozniacki against Ostapenko as well. So and frankly, Stoza. Catherine Whitaker, <laughs> I haven't got a clue, quite clearly, as I've been proving throughout the French Open. What we have been able to do, though, is bring you a tennis podcast every single day of this tournament so far in a huge part to Catherine Whitaker because she's absolutely <laughs> fallen asleep at the moment over there in Paris and yet she's still doing this so well done Catherine keep going go and have some sleep anything else you want to add before we we sign off for this one well no we didn't do predictions for the second women's semi well you've already said who you well, think it's going to be Simona Halep yeah you well, haven't I'm going to go Halep as well. Okay. Uh, I think that 4-1 re- record is quite compelling. But you didn't go for Halep in the final. Well. Did, what, what, what final did you go for before the tournament? Well, I, t- to be honest, I, 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 the reason I didn't pick Halep is because I thought she was injured. She's, not, yeah, she's clearly well, not injured. You had the same information as I did, David. No, I'm not trying to say that I don't deserve a good kicking over this and that you don't deserve credit. You do. Can, can, we, also, can we talk about something else I deserve a bit of credit for? <laughs> no, we can't. Right. You've been listening to the Tennis Podcast brought to you. <laughs> so what was that then? Well, I woke up to rumours this morning on Twitter that Goran Ivanovic is going to be joining the Novak Djokovic coaching team. And I gleefully sent you a screenshot of these rumours on Twitter. And you said, well, it's probably just silly people that listen to the Tennis Podcast and are silly enough to put that out there as sort of substantiated rumour but they have been flying around the press room and I would be terribly disappointed if this ends up being a a rumour that I have started myself (laughs) No you wouldn't be disappointed at all you'd be delighted Well I want it to be true and if it's something I've started myself then it's probably not true But but, but certainly the rumour was out there this morning in more than one source completely unconfirmed but the rumor is out there the, the rumor is out there because we started it <laughs> on the show <laughs> that's no why it's out listening there. enough to what we have to say come on true it's alarming if they this. are anyway. nobody listens to this nonsense do they i mean you know all these people on twitter who's, who try to pretend that they listen it's a load of nonsense, isn't it? Um, anyway, if there is anybody out there, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Catherine, go and have a good night, Skip. And um, and hopefully we'll be back for a Day 12 tennis podcast. Now, listen, you lot, go on our Instagram page. We're posting all sorts um, on there. <laughs> yeah, Catherine doing a job with really the US book. We posted some cheese tonight, cheese board. Uh, I don't think you know about that yet, do you, Catherine? Uh, we've also... Um, <laughs> posted uh also well just go and have a look anyway go and have a look yeah, it's looking a really irritated by me yeah. yeah and um and and do leave us a review on itunes if you've enjoyed these tennis podcasts because that way lots of other people find out about them and we we just you know we, we like that so do it anyway go and have a sleep everybody you've got about what 12 hours from now until the tennis starts again the french oh, open it's semi-finals it's coming your way just it's made exciting me feel exhausted david all right, well, go to bed. All right, you hang up. I'll carry on. I'll just do a little bit of a monologue on my own. Uh, you've been listening to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with our friends from Eurosport, of which Catherine will be on their airwaves tomorrow, bringing you all the very latest. And we'll speak to you soon. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.